Good morning. That's right, I just climbed up. Remember when Ray from the mission just took one little step and he was up here? All right, I, I only need one microphone. <laughs> My name is Pastor Jason. I'm the associate pastor, or as some have implied, associate to the pastor. Um, it is great to have you with us. Pastor Joshua has been talking about um, fear, uh, fear of punishment from the Lord, fear that he's going to kick us out of the family when we've done something wrong. If you've missed it, I encourage you to go back uh, to our website and check it out. Um, and uh, I'm sort of continuing uh, on the theme of fear today, uh, just taking it from a little different angle, uh, a little different facet. Um, but I want to start with Acts. We've uh, been enjoying going through the book of Luke on Wednesday nights, um, and now we're about to start the book of Acts. Um, if you're looking for something to do on Wednesday nights, by the way, feel free to drop in on us. You don't have to have been there the whole time or whatever. We're going to take the next four weeks and go through the book of Acts. Um, it's a, a fun study right in here. But if, you, if you're wanting to understand the book of Acts, you have to see it in its immediate context. Like, we know it comes after the Gospels, but what we need to understand is it comes immediately after the Gospels. So the book of Luke and Acts are really one work, like sort of part one and part two of the same book. So this story picks up at the resurrection of Jesus. So, uh, but I, I want to go back and, and, and examine for all of us together, just think about the tension that was in the air, okay? Um, we, we do a lot of talking about uh, the history of Jesus' time here, because I'm a big believer in that, and, and we, we like to do that on Passion Week, especially we make a really big deal about um, that final week. So for some of you, this will be review, but I want to just get a sense of, of how tense the atmosphere would have been. Jesus almost started a riot. You know, think about Palm Sunday. Jesus almost starts a riot. That'd be a great sermon title. Actually, you could say Jesus started a riot, because it kind of was a riot almost. It wasn't really this like sweet worship service, like, oh, we wave palms and sing these songs of adoration. It was more like a political rally. Um, they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, because that had, it was all politically charged language that they were using. In other words, they were like, we have a new king, and he's going to overthrow Rome, and this is going to be awesome. And the Roman soldiers are standing there looking at this, hearing this, and they know what it means, and there's tension in the air, and it could just boil over any second. And meanwhile, the religious authorities, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, all these guys are watching this too, and they're so angry, and they're so jealous, and, and, and they see all this, and it's just, and the people are following him. He goes into the temple. He makes a big mess of the temple, and, and people are cheering like crazy while all the soldiers are standing by wondering if they should intervene, and the, the priests, and the Sadducees, and the Pharisees start talking about murdering him. That's the week. It's a week of incredible tension. And finally, there's a secret arrest in the middle of the night. There's a trial, sort of a kangaroo court happening, uh, uh, breaking all the rules of law, and they find this man guilty of nothing essentially, but they're going to they're gonna crucify him anyway, even though the judge says He's not guilty. But they say, what do we do? Crucify him. But he's not guilty. Crucify him. So he crucifies him. Can you imagine that? He finds him not guilty and still he's executed. So incredible amounts of tension. Meanwhile, all his, his followers flee because they understand what this means. They understand that they could easily wind up on a cross very, very easily. So they run and they hide. Well, the idea was to make all this Jesus nonsense go away. And it didn't quite work that way. Because not a couple of days after, they start hearing 
rumors that uh, this Jesus guy isn't actually dead. And they're like, no, I saw he really was dead. And they go, well, well, let's just find the body. And oh, no, got bad news for you. The body isn't there. And all these rumors start popping up all over Jerusalem that he's alive, all, all around Judea, that he's alive. And the rumors spread to Galilee. And all these people are saying, look, we saw him, we saw him. There's actually a really good movie on this that came out just a couple years ago called Risen. Uh, I encourage you to check it out. It's sort of all about that time. And it's about a Roman soldier who's trying to investigate. And, and he's so frustrated by these stinking rumors that keep popping up until he runs into Jesus himself. It's really good. So that's where we are. So their idea was kill the shepherd and the sheep would scatter. It doesn't happen. And not seven weeks after Jesus died and was resurrected, not seven weeks later, there's another major feast in Jerusalem. The first major feast where that all happened was, was Passover. That means Jerusalem's crammed with hundreds of thousands of people that are travelers, maybe more. Some say it could have swelled to three million people in that little city. So incredible amount. So they all go home and then they all come back for the next feast, which is the Feast of Pentecost. Well, the disciples are in a room and they're having a prayer time during that feast. And suddenly, because Jesus told them to go there and wait, and suddenly the Holy Spirit falls and all kinds of crazy things break loose. All, it's just madness. They spill out. They're speaking languages they have no business knowing, languages from the far reaches of the empire. And, and it's especially crazy because Galileans were seen as the, the backwater hicks. They really were. You see, like, it's why they didn't take him seriously. He comes from Nazareth, which is in Galilee. And, oh, you've got the Galilean accent. It was looked on as the lower class and, like, sort of like the, the Jeff Foxworthy, you might be a redneck if. They probably told you might be a Galilean if jokes back then. So you have these Galileans who are not supposed to be smart, not supposed to be refined, suddenly know all these languages from all over the place, and they're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Crazy things are happening, and, and thousands of people in the middle of this feast which is not supposed to be dedicated to Jesus Christ. There's supposed to be no more of this Jesus talk. Stop it. Forget it. He was just a random, crazy, hick prophet who said some dumb things. That's all he was, everybody. And all of a sudden, you go from like there being one Jesus to seeing crazy things happen over here. There's Jesus. Wait, well, no, there he is. No, there he is. And he's all over the place. The spirit of Jesus is in all of these men. You try to swat one and two more come. So the tension now is very, very high. All that tension from Holy Week is here now in the temple in Jerusalem around Pentecost. So all this happens. The chief priests now are losing their minds. What in the world? This was supposed to end it. It didn't end it. In fact, now it's worse. So Peter and John, the two most visible of the disciples. Now, first of all, can we just say what in the world happened to Peter? You guys ever thought about this? This is a matter, this is... Seven weeks after Peter said, I know not the man, three times. Remember? I know, ah, uh, he's cowering away from the Seven weeks later, he's standing in front of all these people, thousands of people, proclaiming the good news that Jesus Christ wasn't only the Messiah, but now he's alive again. Unbelievable thing that happened in this man's heart. So he, he, he and John are... are uh, walking through the temple. This is, looks like it was right on the heels of, of what happened in Acts 2. So there, all this is happening. People are meeting Jesus and they walk through the temple into this famous gate called the, the gate called Beautiful. And there's this man who's down there, this man who, who is a mainstay in Jerusalem. Everybody knows this particular, uh, uh, this particular beggar. And he cries out for an alm. Do you remember the, the Sunday school song? 
Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. He held out his hand for an alm, and this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he goes walking and leaping and praising God. And everybody sees it. And they're going, whoa, whoa. This would have been right out wide open when you got tens of thousands of people around here. And most of them have come through that gate and seen that exact man. Maybe many times. You could have come, maybe people come from Caesarea. Maybe once or twice a year they come down for a feast. They've seen him there for a decade. And now all of a sudden they see this guy running around and jumping and, and people's minds are blown. They're going, what happened? What happened? What happened? Him, he should not be running around. Have you seen his legs? Hey, his legs are different. Well, I don't know what to deal. What happened? The, the, the what happens all end up at Peter and John. They're like, Jesus happened. Well, it's really cool, right? Except that the priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees now are really really upset. This is maybe a bigger commotion than they had when Jesus himself was in the temple. So you know what they do? They arrest him. Of course, because they're trying to maintain order. They take Peter and John and they say, what in the world did you do? Don't do that. Don't do that. And you know what Peter does? He shrugs. Eh. <laughs> I'm sure he said that. He might have even said, meh, I don't know. Maybe. But he, 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 it's just sort of, he's nonplussed, right? He get into it here. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them and said, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Okay, the age thing, that means he's been out there probably since he was a boy. He's been out there for probably three decades. And this is not what they need here. So, they, they, they threaten them up and down, and they say, listen, our eye is on you. You better not give any more of this Jesus talk, you hear? Because you remember what happened to Jesus. These are very real threats, very serious threats. Their lives are completely in danger, and they know it. So here's what they do. When they had been released, they went to their own companions. They went to the other disciples and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O oh Lord, it is you who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were together against the Lord and against his Christ. Everyone was against Christ. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose is predestined to occur. And now, Lord, considering all of that, take note of their threats 
These people who are breathing down our necks, these people that are threatening our liberty, these people that are threatening our safety, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may, may what? Be left alone. No, that's not what they said. Avoid detection. No. Grant that your bondservants may persuade the chief priest to change his mind. No. Well, that we may remain safe. No. There is no recorded prayer for safety in the entire New Testament. Now, does that mean it's wrong to pray for safety? No. It means, though, that there's an emphasis in the Scripture that isn't the one that we have. Because right now, in our culture, safety's everything. You see this? It's this politically charged thing on the right and the left, by the way, just on different issues. But everybody is looking at safety. See, how do we be safe? How do we be safe? And I think it's just because we're Westerners, you know? Like, safety is this thing we think that we're just, well, we live in a lot of safety. We live in a lot of comfort. And the thing that can scare us to death is thinking about that safety or comfort leaving us. So we pray, Lord, keep us safe. It reminds me, uh, Doug preached a word uh, a while back on have a good day. Do you guys remember this word? Have a good day. It was great. Because he's talking about what do we mean when we say have a good day? And you know what we really mean? Have a day without trouble. I hope your day has no trouble. <laughs> Which is a great word. This is exactly the same thing. It's like this is the way we talk and act so many times. I hope there's no trouble in your life. That's not the way that the disciples went. That's not the way they rolled. Now, Safety, the prayers for safety, obsession with safety and comfort seem to be our go-to. So here are some go-to prayers. In the face of financial worries, Lord, don't let me be poor when we're sick. Lord, keep sickness from me when we're sick of our job. Lord, get me out of here when we're being persecuted. Lord, keep me safe. These are go-to prayers. This is like normal. When something happens, I don't know about you, but when something happens, sometimes this is the immediate place I go to. I don't even think about it. Lord, change this circumstance. But what about this? Instead of, Lord, don't let me be poor in the face of financial worries, what if we said, Lord, give me wisdom? Give me wisdom to manage the things that you've given me so that I can get through this recession or whatever it is in the face of sickness. Lord, give me strength. Give me strength that I don't snap my kids' heads off just because I have a really bad stomachache. You know? <laughs> Not physically, you get what I'm saying. Okay. Or when you're sick of your job, Lord, help me to endure. Help me to endure even though I don't love my job. Feel the need again to say this is not biographical. <laughs> this is not biographical. It's an example. Just in case you were concerned. When we're being persecuted, instead of just jumping to the Lord, keep me safe, how about, Lord, give me boldness in the middle of this. You see, the left side is prayers of deliverance. The right side, prayers of endurance. I'm not saying prayers of deliverance are not valid prayers. They are. What I'm suggesting is we need to learn to pray more than one type of prayer. We need to learn both types. 
You see, the left side essentially is this. Lord, just get me out of trouble. Lord, help me to have a good day. Please, Lord, I really want a good day. I don't want a day when anything's disrupted. I really like the way things are going, so just help that mojo to keep going on. The right side is this, Lord, help me get through any trouble that comes, to get through it. Now, I guess most of us, most of us are going to lean pretty heavily on that left side. Is that right? To be honest, I mean, for me, it, it is. I favored that one, and you have too, because we're Westerners. We're Westerners, and we really do love our comfort. We really do enjoy the safety. And you know what? Those, those are given by God. Like, it's a beautiful thing to have comfort when we have. It's a beautiful thing to have safety when we... It, it's not that those things are bad. But sometimes, you know, there are some things that can only be learned in the midst of a trial, in the midst of a hard time. They can't be learned any other way. Now, think about it. I'm just... Think about the simple terms of exercising and working out and becoming strong. You, you don't do that and you, unless you experience a bit of pain. That's the only way. That's why they say no pain, no gain. It's not just a cute slogan. It's, it's correct. <laughs> this is the only way. And sometimes I think we really want to have growth in our life without ever experiencing any difficulty. We want a shortcut because we're Americans and we like shortcuts. But there's no shortcut on some of this stuff. So, so let's, prayers of deliverance are okay, but, but what about that endure thing, you know? What about that? Because sometimes I think God wants to do something in the endurance thing. He's like, you're going through a really hard time. And I, I, you know what? I've blown it, guys. I have so blown it here. Oh, going through a really hard time and just going, God, please get me out of this hard time. Please, when all the time he's like, I want to I show you something. Lord, please get me out of this situation. This hurts. I know it hurts. I know it hurts. Lord, please. And all the time he's trying to minister to me. He's trying to come and enter into that pain with me so that I can grow, so I can come closer to him. But I haven't let him because I've been obsessed about my circumstance. Prayers of endurance are important. We need... We need to pray both types of prayers. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may not be left alone, not avoid detection, not persuade, to persuade the chief priest to change his mind or to remain safe. What they prayed was this. Grant your, that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. In other words, Lord, help us to remain steadfast while you do what you do. You're going to do those things, so help us to be confident in the midst of it and not to shrink back. That's what they prayed. They did not pray a prayer of deliverance. They prayed a prayer of perseverance. They prayed a prayer of endurance. Help us to endure here and, in fact, to be all the stronger in the middle of this thing. Lord, you don't have to take me out of that thing. We're in kind of a pressure cooker right now, and whether this was your will or not, I don't know, but that's where we are. So Lord, help me to have confidence in the midst of that pressure cooker. That's what they prayed. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Boldness and confidence, both of those words 
uh, yeah, this, it's the same word in Greek. It's the word parousia, freedom in speaking, uh, unreservedness in speech, but I especially like the second one, free and fearless confidence. Isn't that good? Free and fearless confidence. Lord, give us free and fearless confidence in the midst of wherever we are. Help us not to be afraid of the circumstance, but be free with fearless confidence. That's what they prayed. In our situation, boldness might not mean necessarily let's speak louder, let's just speak loud, help us to yell. That's not always what it means. But simply help us, help us, Lord, to withstand the hardships that we find ourselves in and be faithful and full of joy in the midst of them. That's what this means. Jesus told us, guys. He already told us. He warned us. I have said, or I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Now, first of all, look at those two sentences together. I've told you this so you'll have peace. In this world, you'll have trouble. First of all, just take those two. Those two alone actually are awesome. They're not as good without the second part, which I'll show you in a second. But just those two alone are awesome because honestly, I think here's what happens to us Westerners, guys. We have trouble and we immediately think something is terribly wrong. But he's, he's warning us. He's saying, adjust your expectations. You're going to have trouble. And you're like, if, if that's normal, that might be a little bit of relief. <gasps> okay. So he's not punishing you? Well, no. If you thought he was, go listen to Joshua's sermons. He's not. So what is that? Why am I experiencing all of this hardship? Well, he told you you would. He said in this world, you will have trouble. That's going to happen. Do you know why you have trouble? Not because God ordains every single little thing. I don't know what you think about that or don't. I don't personally believe that he does. I think he ordains some things and then some things are stupid decisions that I make. But here's the thing. In this world, you will have trouble. So whatever the source of it, we don't think something's wrong when something isn't aligned the way we think it is, the way that we think it should be. He's saying that will happen. Here's what trouble means. Here's another Greek word, thalipsis. That's a fun one. Say it. Thalipsis. Yes, thank you. Pressure. Look at the first one means pressure. Isn't that good? In this world, you will have pressure. Afflicted or affliction. Anguish. In this world, you will have anguish. Well, I don't like that. We're sons of God and God's a good father. Yes, he's a really good father. That means he walks with you through the anguish that sometimes hits. It doesn't mean he, he, he keeps it all away from you. He won't. He won't. Now, one day, he's going to set all that right. There won't be any more anguish. But we don't live there yet. So if you're expecting that, I have to, I have to ask you to readjust your expectations in the way that Jesus advises. In this world, you will have some anguish. I wish it weren't true. I really do. I wish it weren't true, but it is true. Ah. But take heart, he says, for I have overcome the world. This is the expectation. Have peace. You're going to have trouble. But I have overcome the world. You see, he's in it with us. We only need to be afraid if he's not here with us, but he's in it with us. And he's overcome it ahead of us. God is not punishing you if you're experiencing a difficult time. I feel pretty strongly about this. I don't believe he's angry with you. I don't believe he's going to 
hold you somehow responsible for things that anyone else did in the past with your parents or something you did many years ago and he's going, I'm gonna make this hard for you. Some of that we bring on ourselves. Some of it is just living in a broken world and that's all, that's all there is to it. There's a whole bunch of sickness and disease that I don't think he ever wanted to be here. I don't think he ever planned. I think it's here because the world is broken and one day he's gonna fully fix it. But until then, we deal with these things. We deal with them. There was a song that used to come on all the time. Sometimes he calms the storm and other times he calms the child. And I used to think that was kind of a trite song, a trite line, but guys, it's, it's really true. Sometimes he doesn't calm the storm. Sometimes he calms us. And I stand here and say, I wish that he always calmed the storm. If it was up to me, he'd calm the storm every time. But it's not up to me. And I have a feeling that he knows what he's doing. Look, I've prayed for years for my son to be healed. He hasn't been healed. My son Jack is 11, he's minimally verbal, has severe autism, and I have prayed, and my wife has prayed, and my kids have prayed, and you all have prayed, and more people have prayed, and we've taken him to places where there's all kinds of healing, and they've prayed, and he's still not free from the symptoms of severe autism that hold him back. So, I've had to gauge, all right, so how do we move on? It might be that we're not praying hard enough. Maybe we just need to pray louder. Like these, these are things that are like what maybe we, maybe we haven't taken, I, I, don't, I don't know. But you know what? I don't think any of that's true. There's been enough faith from you guys to compensate for any little faith in me and my wife. And he hasn't been healed. I would love for that to change. But I just don't know if it will. So I need to look at this situation and say, Lord, okay, all right, so what, what now? What do we do in the meantime? And here's the thing, and I almost hate to admit this to you guys. I guess I can be a stubborn brat. But here's the thing. There are things that God's done in the midst of our situation with Jack that I never expected. And that I, I don't know if they would have happened without, without him with this condition. Does that mean that he intended all of this so he could do, I don't know, I don't know. I don't, that's certainly not the answer to everything and I don't know if that's the answer here. I personally don't think it is. All I know is this. Our family is a very close, tight-knit family and it's due in large part to Jack's condition. That we have dear, close relationships. Even with my teenage daughters, they like me most of the time. It's beautiful. And that has happened in large part because we've all rallied around Jack. And I also know this. I used to know everything, guys. I used to know everything. And I used to know everything, not just for me, but for all of you. <laughs> now I don't, and I like it so much better. <laughs> you see, because God's done things in me that I never expected. He's brought He's brought these pieces that has like softened my heart in these ways that I never imagined. And now I'm like, 
oh, Lord, I, I don't know what to say. Like, I'm really glad that you've done that through the midst of this situation. And now there's opportunities left and right to like speak in to the lives of other families who are dealing with this stuff too. And I, I, didn't, I didn't want any of that. I didn't ask for any of that. I, I still don't know if I want any of that. But here we are. This is what God's done in the midst of this situation. And I don't know if it would have happened at all without his condition. Now, here's the thing, okay? Here's the rub. You want to you hear where I'm at? Here's my flesh. I would still trade it all in a heartbeat, guys. I'd still trade it all in a heartbeat to be able to hear and have a conversation with my son to know what's on his heart. I would. I would. In my flesh, would want that. But he's doing things in the midst of this situation that continue to shock and, and astound us and, and, and have us grow closer to him, closer to one another. So I got to trust him in that situation and say, Lord, I don't get it. I still want you to heal him. Isn't there another way that our family could have gotten really close? Did it have to be severe autism? I don't know the answer to that. All I know is he's working in the situation and he's not stopping and he's growing it. And he's growing my heart. My heart's changing and morphing in these ways. I'm like, Lord, what are you even doing in this situation? I'm working through trials. I'm working through pain. And without pain, you wouldn't be able to be here. And guys, that's just the truth. There's some things we just can't grow without pain. I don't know if we can empathize with the hurts of our neighbors unless we know something about pain. I don't know if we can relate to what Jesus did and, and, and to suffer, like we take part in his sufferings like the New Testament tells us to do unless we've experienced a little bit of that ourselves. This is the way we reach the world. We come as broken people and we present our broken hearts and we say, Lord, we're broken. And somehow, somehow there's healing that he gives us when we know that we're broken. It's the craziest thing. You think all our examples of these unmarred hearts and these perfect, pristine, shiny hearts running around could do it, but it doesn't do it. It doesn't do it. God works through people in crisis. I don't, I, he just does. He works through people in pain. He just does. Am I suggesting that he makes us go through this? No, I'm not even speculating on why they happen because I don't know why they happen. All I'm saying is this. I have my thing. You have your things. We all have our things. So what do we do about them? What do we do? We got to learn to pray more than one type of prayer. We can pray, Lord, deliver us from this thing. But I have, I just have this urge in my heart that says we also need to pray the other prayer. Lord, give us boldness in the middle of this. We've got to have both. We've got to pray both prayers because we don't know what God's doing in this situation. We have no idea. We're walking blind. We see through a, a glass dimly. We just do. One day it'll all be crystal clear to us. But for now, for now, isn't it possible that we could pray for healing and then prepare also that, that that particular kind of healing might not come. And we prepare ourselves and we say, okay, Lord, what are you gonna do in me in the meantime? What are you gonna do my son in the meantime? And Lord, we're gonna be faithful and we're gonna walk boldly in the meantime, even if it doesn't come. And I really want it to come, but it might not come. 
do not fear. Do not fear. Because you're not alone. He teaches us these things because we hold his hand and he walks through them with us. He walks through the trials with us. He probably won't just whack the storm and get it out of your face so you can walk and have a good day. Usually what he does is he puts his arm around us and he says, we're gonna get wet, but we're gonna make it. Let's run. And that's the, that's the picture. You see, we talk a lot about God as a father. And a lot of times we just think about that being God, the, the God who nurtures, the God who wipes away tears, the God who lets us sit on his lap. And that is a beautiful aspect of his character. But in some ways, I think that's more like the mother heart of God. There's also a side of God as father where he says, listen, this isn't gonna be easy, son. This isn't gonna be easy, daughter, but you're growing up and we're gonna have to go through this, but I'm gonna be with you. We're gonna do this together. It's not gonna be easy. I wish it could be like before when I just snuggled you for hours on end. But see, we, we do live in a war zone, so we can't always just snuggle. Sometimes we gotta, sometimes we gotta go, all right, let's do this thing. And he trains us and he trains our hands for battle and he trains us for difficult times because he's a good father, that's why. Because he's not gonna leave us to the elements by ourselves. Two kinds of prayers. We don't need to be afraid, guys, because he's with us. We don't need to fear the circumstances because he's with us, no matter how dark they get, because he's with us and he's not leaving us. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. A child knows it's not gonna be easy, but God's gonna be with him. Whether he pulls us out of the circumstances or whether he walks through them with us, there's no reason to be afraid. Lord Jesus, give us boldness. We need boldness in the face of our situations, Lord. We need boldness. We need boldness to stare down our unchanging circumstances. The sicknesses, Lord. The broken relationships. The tensions, the threats, whatever they are. Lord, give us boldness. Thank you, Jesus. Prayer servant team, can you come? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you guys need prayer, just ask you to come forward. The prayer servant team, or we can be up here too. I just feel like the Lord wants to do something. Um, in this area for some of you guys. Um, so if it's not you, be blessed. Um, but the Lord wants you to know he's in, he's in it with you. He's in it with you. And he's not gonna leave.